1: This is not a regular show. This is not part two of our series on giants, which will be out next week, although mentally, tonight's guest is indeed, in our eyes, a giant. Dr. Chris Cogswell is one of the earliest members of the Astonishing Research Corps. He is, in many ways, one of the stalwart voices of reason in there, taking a rational and measured point of view in the face of the strange and unusual. This is why he is such a great fit for the Corps. He's well-educated, rational, and open-minded. So tonight, during what would normally be a dark week, we're bringing you Dr. Cogswell in the form of a commercial-free interview about a new position he is undertaking as the Director of Research at MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, where he intends to make their investigative standards more rigorous and effective. He will be shaping the future of their approach to the thousands of reports of unidentified aerial phenomena they receive annually.
0: Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forest Burgess. Was the ground indented, or just showing dead grass and a glowing ring? Did it seem
1: charred and brittle, or was it more impacted, showing the difference between a combustion engine and something just sitting there? Can I get a soil sample? Dr. Chris Cogswell from the Astonishing Research Corps, Delphus Ring Investigation, May 2016. And join
0: us tonight for an interview with Chris Cogswell. And we're back... ...with a bonus
1: episode. That's right. When we were doing the imminent disclosure series, we interviewed the aforementioned Dr. Chris Cogswell, or Doc Cogs, as I like to call him, from the Astonishing Research Corps about his exciting new position as Director of Research for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, which is the oldest and largest UFO phenomenon
0: investigative body. It would appear that we now have a man on the inside. No, no you're not supposed to announce that, you nitwit. Oh, valid point. Uh, to quote Raising <laughs> Arizona, you hear that, everybody? We's using code
1: names. <laughs> As we said, Chris is one of the first members of the research
0: corps, and back then, he was just a grad student with an attitude. Yeah. Since then, he's earned a doctorate in chemical engineering, started the Mad Scientist podcast, co-hosted by fellow ARC member, Marie Mayhew, and he's now become the director of research at MUFON. And by the way, he still has an attitude. (laughs) He's unstoppable. Honestly, I don't know how he finds time for all this stuff, plus his show, Mad Scientist. Yeah, I I barely have time for this show. Actually, I don't have time for this show, and that's all I'm doing. (laughs) Well, by the way, you can check out the Mad Scientist podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Be warned that unlike us, Chris and Marie work blue over there.
1: (laughs) That's a showbiz term, folks. And if you're under 40, what that means is sometimes their language is a little peppery. Oh, yeah.
0: But it's it's a great show. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's intense on the sciencey bits. And then also Marie is on it. And she's intense on the... Well, she's just intense.
1: (laughs) You can tell when she's loaded up on a few espressos before recordings. (laughs) Uh, Well, you don't want to try and put one over on her let me tell you these guys are part of what keeps the art going and Tess up late at night trying to manage it right so let's get on with it indeed well Chris sat down with us for about a half an hour to
0: talk about what he's doing over at MUFON and we really felt it needed to be its own thing yes and if UFOs are not your bag we'll resume our series on giants next week so sit tight yes giant UFOs okay <laughs> let's get to the interview So, we are joined now by Dr. Chris Cogswell, who we introduced earlier in the show. He's coming on tonight to talk about something that's related to our topic, but also a little bit of an announcement that uh, we wanted to let him share with our audience here. I know he's been telling folks about it online and social media, and I think he's heard he just did a radio show recently with our other guest, Rob.
2: Yeah, it was awesome. So, the What If podcast here in uh, the Twin Cities... Of uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota, with me, and they do a local radio show for a uh, station KRSM that's out of South Minneapolis. And so they invite you know we've been talking forever about me coming down and recording an episode of their podcast. And they were like, "Well, we can't you know we hang out on Monday nights and talk about weird stuff on the radio. Why don't you come do it with us?"
0: Oh, that sounds fun.
2: We went down and uh, we put out the bat signal for Rob. And I'm not even kidding. We put it out there. We said. Rob Christofferson, if you're listening, call this station, and within moments,
1: Rob <laughs> called. He was like, "I'm here, I'm here.
2: Did I miss anything?" It well, was so it it's was a, amazing. Wow. And then it's he a just, live you know, show. Yeah, it was a live show, and and Rob, you know, we talked about UFOs and disclosure closure and all kinds of weird stuff. Birds playing with fire. Oh, fun. It's getting intense. Yeah, it was yeah, good. That's awesome. it was a that's lot
0: kind of fun. Of like the uh, the bird that dropped the baguette in the uh, super collider, right? Well, oh, was that a squirrel? No, was it was a bird, a bird that yeah. uh, yes, they think. <laughs> because the bird came back from the future and didn't want to tear a hole in space and time.
1: Well, I heard croissant. So Oh yeah, it was yeah. a croissant. That's I right. Don't know. It's, anyway, yeah. we, it's spurious. <laughs> um, sure.
0: So, uh Dr. Chris Cogswell with his doctorate in chemical engineering recently acquired. We'd like to say congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Yes, well, we are just talking about it. We've seen you grow up. You came to us as a mere
1: grad student, I believe, when you joined the arc and you've fully matured into a doctor.
2: Yes. I'm telling you, just weird things happening. My voice is getting lower. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean right. <laughs> really. Yeah. It's it's getting real strange over here. Yeah. yeah. You guys are really kind of what started it all for me. So oh, forever geez, grateful. No. You know? Don't do that.
0: Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that um I think you were well on your way to your higher education before we ever came along. So yeah. that's uh, no
1: but this topic has brought us all together.
0: And the great part about
1: it is that we have these differing ideas about what might lie at the root of these different events, shall we say, but we all come together in our interest for them. So I think that's great. And, and you know, we always, we've choked on, I'm sure you've heard Chris on other episodes where it's like, why is he even listening? This is so out there and fringy for Chris. Forrest oh, yeah, says, why is Chris even listening? <laughs> says, this make, none of this makes any sense. <laughs> And we get it, we're joking around, but the idea is that it's the fascination about these kind of things, and maybe what is the real reason that these kind of strange things are happening, and, and what's the explanation? So I, we all share that love, is what I'm saying, and, and that's what brought us together here. Yeah, absolutely.
2: You know, it's a funny thing. I I try to tell this to people that ask me, you know, well, what if you've been looking at this stuff for so long, and then there's nothing to it? And I always tell them that that would almost be more interesting to me, that there, <laughs> that there isn't yeah. a real something out there, right? I mean, because then what is the complicated mechanism by which all of this stuff has been, it's either a delusion or it's all been made up or, you know, what is the process then that lets us make up these things out of whole cloth, right? It's, It's so fascinating almost that if it was all made up, then that is in itself its own interesting mystery that I think is worthy of investigation and discussion
1: oh sure yeah we call it the david mamet uh, homicide theory where a whole all these series of crazy events happen over a simple misunderstanding which had nothing to do with the original thing it's just like what are these things that seem to be happening it's not just Mammoth, by the way. No, no.
0: Three's Company was like that. Well, <laughs> <right? Like>, oh, <laughs> but
1: the whole, the whole, you're talking about the, the series arc.
0: Every single episode was a it's simple a, misunderstanding. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's, it's all the stuff that happens for a
1: totally different reason. Yeah. But there is a synchronicity there is that that makes them connected, even if there is no reason.
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh,
1: yeah, I do get Chris's point. It's like, what if some of these things, or maybe all of it is happening, and it's just not what we thought. I'm totally down
0: with that. We don't, you know, we've never professed to know the answers here, but we have fun searching for them. Let's get to the point of why you're on the show. You have an announcement to make that I thought you should share yourself about a recent position uh, that you've taken on in your life.
2: Yeah, so I have, as of this week, officially taken on the role of director of research for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, so I'd been in talks for you know, a month or two, month and a half about talking to people and making sure that kind of the people that have been involved and helped grow it to where it is today, that those people, you know, I have their buy-in and I have their approval and, you know, they believe in kind of what I'm trying to do. And it finally got to the point where, you know, I really think it's going to happen. You know, I think this might actually occur. And when it finally did happen, I kind of came home and I was like, my wife couldn't believe it. Katie was like, oh my goodness, you are such a nerd <laughs>
1: but,
0: <laughs> yeah, now it's official. You know, when, yeah.
2: when we started dating me and Katie would go back to high school. Right. So when we started dating, I was in a ska band and I was like, I'm never going to college. I'm going to play <laughs> punk rock the rest of my life. You know, little yeah. did I know. And Katie was like, no, shut up. You're going to college. Like, don't be silly. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but, but this idea of kind of investigating this stuff has always been with me. And it's always been something that fascinated me. I mean, Originally, I wanted to be I wanted to do philosophy of science, and I kind of got to do that by doing a philosophy second degree in undergrad. But this really is I think that the search for the search for this stuff, both is a physical reality, but also the analysis of these things from a more philosophical, you know, all encompassing point of view and looking at it from different angles that previously weren't looked at, I think is useful. And it's kind of what I hope to do on the podcast, and, you know, part of what drew me to listening to you guys, too.
0: Right. Well, I, for one, am super excited. I'm excited for you. I'm also excited for us. <laughs> 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 we, all, know, a, we all benefit from this. yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about MUFON and what it is. I mean, how big of an organization it is, how long it's been around, and what exactly your responsibilities are going to be.
2: So MUFON has been around now for almost 50 years. Okay. MUFON started as the Midwest UFO Network in 1969. But originally, this was a group of people that had been part of APRO, the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. Okay. And so basically... They were looking at these things and decided that it would be good to have a centralized location to put all of these cases together for investigation. Because before this, you know, you can think 1969, what big cases came around that same period of time, right? You had the Betty and Barney Hill case and really the blossoming of, I guess, the abduction phenomena, right? It wasn't just people seeing ships anymore. It was people actually seeing that they had had contact
0: in some interesting way. And also coincidentally the year I was born.
1: (laughs) Oh
2: man, (laughs) very exciting.
1: And
0: and we walked on the moon.
1: It was 69 and and I think the Beatles broke up. So put that all together.
2: And so basically it has evolved over time into a bunch of different roles. But initially the whole point of MUFON was to get together interested people from the sciences, from the military, from the just general population, to talk about these cases, to investigate them primarily, and to kind of try to find some conclusions about this stuff based on the evidence that we find.
0: As head of research, what are you hoping to bring to the organization that they haven't been doing already? Or, or how are you hoping, are you hoping to make improvements in their investigative skill set or what's the plan there?
2: I primarily hope to almost bring MUFON back to its roots of really seriously investigating these cases. The UFO field is sort of, I mean, it's expanded into all kinds of different directions. You have it expanding away from just a very scientific approach to this many people a year see craft. These craft can be described in this way or whatever they are. They can be described in this way. We can look at commonalities between locations and time of day and demographics of the people that are actually having these experiences and whatever. So sort of a more, a very scientific studied approach. It's kind of evolved from that into ideas about archaeology and ideas about consciousness and ideas about our place in the universe and how a lot of these ideas can be connected, right? I mean, Forrest, I know one of your favorites is the grand unified paranormal
1: theory. Right. It's aiming towards, I guess, kind of in the same spirit, As the Einstein theory of somehow there's an underlying principle that ties this all together.
2: Right. That if all of these things exist in a sensible, relatively law-abiding universe, then they have to be connected somewhere along the line in their causal chain, right? Right, right. And so the same kind of idea exists in the UFO field, of course, but that's almost taken us away from that initial field of study, right? We're no longer just talking about Who's seeing these things? How are they reporting them? What are their effects afterwards? Do they claim to have been taken up? What do they remember? This more analysis scientific approach. We're now talking more about, you know, what is the overarching conspiracy that might exist? What is its connection to things like ancient mythologies about angels and demons and these other questions that are interesting. But they're not science. Exactly. Yeah. They're good to talk about. In some cases, they might even be good philosophy. Right. Or at least have a nugget of good philosophy in there. But they're not really what MUFON was
0: set up to do. So you're hoping to take it back to what it originally was and to really focus on the nature of the investigations that it does and keeping those in the scientific realm.
2: Exactly. And also to start new investigations, right? I mean, one criticism that's been lobbied at MUFON is that in some cases, the extent of our investigation is sending a group of five people out to talk to a witness and then send a report onto the internet, right? Right. And that is just pure data isn't any good if you don't analyze it. Right. Right. So trying to find interesting ways to then do analysis of that data or even, you know, just having the kind of network that exists to talk about these things in an interesting way. Sure. One aspect of MUFON that I find fascinating that I really do want to help to further is the part of MUFON, and it's part of MUFON's mission statement, is education. So much of our modern science. And so many of our modern scientists started because of their love of science fiction, right? And started because of their love of stories about spaceships and laser beams and all these other kind of cool things, right? Sure. And in some ways, some of the questions that MUFON has been asking are very similar questions to the things that a futurist you know, like Ray Kurzweil or Elon Musk or whoever would be asking, right? What do we expect a civilization to look like if we don't have to actually consume food for energy, right? Yeah. What could we expect another sentient life form to have evolved to be like, right? All of these questions are worth asking. We're just not doing a very good job, I don't think, as an organization, couching that discussion in a way that is fruitful to the public and also fruitful to the search for these answers to some of these questions.
0: Well, and in the course of making all that stuff ship shape, the upside too is that the organization is taken more seriously and the work that it does is and is treated with respect as opposed to maybe dismissed as well, right?
2: Absolutely. And the thing is too, I think that there was a time period where investigating UFOs, you know, just being interested in UFO cases was seen as almost a taboo to the scientific community. But we've all grown up on Star Wars and Star Trek yeah, and the X-Files and video games and whatever. So the, these ideas aren't all that amazing to us anymore. They're not that far out from the realm of possibility. And in fact, I think HuffPost, of poll has actually found that up to 48% of adults in the US are open to the idea that alien spacecraft are observing our planet. Right? And only 35% completely discount it, completely say there's yeah. no way. And that's even taking a step almost further than I would say a good portion of MUFON's membership would say, which is that there are aliens
0: on these ships. You know what my thing is, though, about this kind of data, and it always has been, it doesn't matter what people think. They're either there or they aren't. Like, it doesn't matter if half you, the population or yeah. 70% or what you mean. In you reality,
1: know, if these things exist, yeah. who cares what we think? That's <laughs> right. what well, I'm saying. It's like, these, right. this is right. either well, or its yeah. not it isn't. It they doesn't don't. have
0: to do with our belief system.
1: Right. There's three intermediaries here. You have if there are aliens, the aliens themselves, they obviously don't care. Maybe they're manipulating that belief system to their advantage. Then you have the layer of people who govern us they're certainly, I believe, manipulating that or taking that layer of belief or disbelief to their advantage. And then you have the rest of us. Yeah, Those other two layers don't really care whether we believe or we don't.
0: Well, to me, it would be a larger concern if you could vote aliens into existence or out of existence. Oh, Then right. I'd be worried what we all right. thought. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, It's
2: similar to those polls that come out that say, you know, do you believe in, in global warming or something, right? And it's like, well... Who cares if you believe yeah. in it or not? It's
1: getting yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, gonna, it's going to be bad it's, soon. You better start well, believing. It's going to do whatever it's going to do. And again, if you believe in kind of a superior alien life, they're going to do whatever they want to do. Right. Maybe they can use our help with some things. And that's certainly one theory that's out there is that there's a, a kind of cooperation between nations even and uh, extraterrestrials and then there's the other theories that there are aliens out there who just apply their will to a certain degree and as i said earlier before i think yeah the middle part there of, of whoever's administrating us our own human beings our governments they will use that to whatever goal that they need to so that goes to the disinformation campaigns or the stink on it of oh any real scientist would never consider this you're a wacko, even if you talk about it. And so people roll their eyes. And, and what we're seeing now, this gradual trend, is that pilots, military people, who could have had their careers tainted by this are now coming forward. A lot of them are retired. But to be fair, they're retired. Yeah, they're retired. Yeah. <laughs> they're probably retired. As they uh, retire, you know, yeah. like I saw this Yeah, stuff. or it's like Edgar Mitchell, the astronaut. Yeah. It's like, yes, he's not doing it over the... <laughs> well, there are some tapes that people believe where some strange things are being described. That have come out. But yeah, afterwards, you see people when they now when they don't have as much to lose, it's becoming more and more acceptable to be open to these kind of things. And it's like, like like the poll wording there. Yeah. Would you be open to the idea of aliens existing?
2: And the thing is, the people that get involved, a lot of the times they're, they've been retired from the sciences or the military for some time. And they say, you know, well, listen, I've always been interested in this stuff. I just never thought that it was OK to talk about it. Yeah. I just gave my first presentation to a MUFON gathering, introducing some of my ideas and, you know, how we should phrase our philosophical questions versus our scientific ones. And as I'm giving this talk, I look around the room and I realize, you know, that guy sitting over there told me, you know, showed me some of the papers that he wrote on how lasers interact with solid surfaces when he worked at Lockheed Martin. And that guy down over there showed me, you know, was telling me that he was a professor of physics at UCLA. And this guy over here, you know, you're talking to a room full of people who are probably a lot smarter right. than me. And I'm like, you know, quantum says this, <laughs> you know, and they're like, yeah, yeah we know we helped develop <laughs> right. it, you know, in yeah. some cases. so. It is really fascinating. The issue, I think, so one big issue that I think MUFON has had, and I think this is something that in some ways turns a lot of people off from the organization, and it's something that really I hope to help combat and I hope to really steer towards a a place that I think is more appropriate and also just more helpful and useful to the public. MUFON has sort of tried to be a, I'm not speaking for all of MUFON Right. right now. MUFON, in my view at least, has always sort of tried to be something for everyone. MUFON as an organization doesn't want to say, oh, you know, we believe this type of case over another, or we think that this person is telling the truth and this person isn't. Or, you know, we believe in one big hot topic right now is the physical reality of the ships versus the whole idea of them being kind of like Skinwalker Ranch style, being a something else changing our perceptions. Right. MUFON has has really wanted to steer away from giving those hard answers in a way in recent years because it has seemed that the number of people that are really invested in looking at this stuff, it's changed over time and people have started moving away to other things and whatever. And I think a part of the issue is that MUFON has not been strong enough in saying to the public and to its members, this isn't worth investigating anymore, this topic right? This case, we won't have anything else yeah, on it. Yeah, And not to say that, okay, this is the final answer, but at least to say that we think that this is something worth talking about. One, one part of this that I want to get to, I think, is what are the top 10 cases of the last 100 years, right? What are the cases that we would point to as an organization and say, if you're going to get into this, if you want to try to convince a skeptic or a scientist or whoever, your friends at the bar, We want you to be telling them about these cases because these are the ones that we feel are ironclad, or at least we feel really good about these cases and the way that they were investigated and really trying to cut away some of the excess stuff that's out there about some of these ideas that while interesting and fun to talk about, it's all just conjecture, right? like you were saying at the beginning, it's not scientific.
0: Sure. Anyways, that's kind of what I hope to do. With everyone else coming out about all the things they've seen after they retired, what could possibly possess you to jump into MUFON five minutes (laughs) after you got your doctorate?
2: (laughs) It's a good question, Scott. It's a good question. Uh, You know what? I have always, I mean, okay, so I do this podcast and it's on the philosophy of science and the way that science and pseudoscience are different and how they interact You know, why does the public sometimes believe pseudoscience when real science is staring them in the face?
0: The Mad Scientist Podcast.
2: Yes. And in some some ways, MUFON is sort of the ultimate test case for this, right? MUFON has some phenomenal, talented, well-meaning investigators and scientists and people working super hard to get stuff right – to give answers to people who feel like they have had a terrifying experience happen to them in some cases and really be a place for people to come together and talk about these things and try to find answers. Sure. Right. But like with anything that becomes really popular, there are always going to be some that either conflate things together or do things in a way that maybe is less accurate than we would like or maybe sometimes, and I know people don't like to hear this, but sometimes there are going to be people trying to take advantage of a situation, right. Sure, right? I think that being able to tell what is science versus pseudoscience at one of these areas where UFO studies and kind of these ideas of alien cognition and even just communication language, this is sort of right at the forefront of some really fascinating philosophy of science questions, right? And this is really a realm where you can get into some really interesting scientific discussions and ideas outside of the realm of whether or not these things exist. I mean, you know, you can use this topic as a way to teach people chemistry and physics and math and biology and all these other great things that I love. And at the same time, I feel like if you love something, you should try to make it better.
0: Sure. Right.
2: I love reading about uh, UFO cases and talking about this kind of stuff with people. I felt like if there was a way for me to get involved and instead of just on the outside coming in and saying, I wish they did this differently. Well, I have an opportunity now to actually do something right and actually make it the way that I think it should be and help direct it in that way. So I guess partially it is a lifelong uh, masochistic streak (laughs) that has brought me here. But it's also just a genuine love for these kinds of stories and a genuine love for all of the cool philosophy and science that's involved in this.
0: Well, I think it's awesome. I think they couldn't have a better person in the position that you're in. I really look forward to when you come across that story that just freaks you out, man, I, you've you got to give us a call. Let us know.
2: <laughs> Scott, I'm not even kidding. My inbox is full of pictures from people saying, you know, what do you think this is, right? Yeah. But I have already sat down with some people whose stories have just shaken me to my core. Awesome. Like, like it is so different. You know, like, there, there have been some instances where you hear someone say something and you're like, okay. But when someone is holding back tears and shaking and saying, I don't know what happened to me, but I was scared out of my mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even now I'm getting chills thinking about it. Yeah. You know, so.
1: No, that's always the human angle we talk about that you won't get it until somebody close to you or at least somebody that you've talked to for just a little bit and you've kind of sussed them out as being a trustworthy person as far as you know that seems very genuine and they tell you these things you don't have to believe them but it's hard to process some of the stories that you hear
2: and the thing is too people have been having these sorts of scary world-changing experiences since the beginning of time right we've called them religious epiphanies or whatever Mm -hmm. um again i get back to that original point whatever this is it's worth talking about and investigating
1: and these people deserve to be heard Absolutely. Well, I had a quick question here. How does it work? Because I think a lot of people are curious. Say I ring up MUFON and I send an email and say, hey, I had this incredible experience. I I may or may not have uh, any photos of it. You know, I know the details, the time, the place. I do know that MUFON, I think, tried to standardize a reporting form to get the data in line. So all the questions that are asked are the same and and, uh, you can kind of put that into a database. But what's the process then? if somebody, when somebody comes to MUFON with a crazy story, if they have a photo or some cell phone video or something, what happens with that info? What happens with that story?
2: So actually, that's a really good question. And I want to kind of actually go into actually how can someone become involved in MUFON and become an investigator um, if they want to. So the way that these cases get processed is kind of a couple different ways. First off, if you have a case that has occurred to you or you have evidence or something, um, you can go to MUFON.com and find basically the submission portal and put in your case. Right. Okay. And so then that would bring you up to the actual form itself that then you can fill out and give your information and say, you know, whether or not you want to actually say, you know, who you are, give a phone number, whatever for further Steps, right? So if you just go to moveon.com, actually on the main page right on the right, there's a link that says report a UFO, and you click on that, and then it takes you over to the reporting portal itself. How do you
0: keep people from trolling that?
2: We have people that actually will go through and read all of those and ensure that they are sensible and earnest. And then we will try to follow up with people that make those reports to ensure that, again, they're on the up and up.
0: Very cool. Right?
2: Yeah. And that's another part of kind of what I want to do is sort of the internal mechanisms and stuff. What I'm hoping to eventually have put in place is sort of a peer review style board where both when these cases come in, we have people going through them and ensuring both that they have consistency in their logic and stuff, but also finding those ones that are really top-notch cases. I have a marking on my body or my car is magnetized or whatever it is. Then we send out a team of our best people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you can report it online you can also report it to a local chapter of MUFON. So every state has a chapter, or at least a state over. There's almost always a chapter near where you are in a major city. And you can actually either go to a chapter meeting and just say during the open mic session, you know, hey, I had this weird thing happen to me, and give that info that way if you would like to. Or you can also contact the state's investigator, and then they will follow up with you. Okay. Okay. And so every state has a director of investigations and then a team of investigators. And then MUFON itself has a sort of high-level team of investigators that go out to these really gold star cases, I would say. Mm -hmm. And then we also are starting to build up a board of scientific consultants that includes psychologists and physicists and chemists and doctors and any science that you're in. We probably want you on the team, so give me an email. Right. (laughs) And the hope is that these people will be able to then consult on these cases And again, makes sense, you know, Um, I'm not a biologist, you know, just because I have doctor in my title (laughs) does not mean I know anything about... You know, I have a weird mark on me, or (laughs) does this look infected? um, (laughs) You know, I think I had a weird
1: dream. Was it a dream or real? I can't make that claim, right? Right. So we need to get someone who can. Well, what makes a gold star case? If you had a flood of calls about a certain time period at a certain location, is it somebody coming forward with extraordinary footage of it? What would put that uh, aid team on that case?
2: Honestly, it can be all kinds of things. It can, of course, be something like a sighting that occurred for a bunch of people. Yeah. Or even, forget a bunch of people, if there were three people in a car that all saw the same craft or something, that would maybe be flagged as a good case, right? Yeah. The thing is that MUFON has tried to break up the research as well into different categories. So if you're reporting seeing a craft That will get its own research team and its own focus. If you are reporting that you believe you've been abducted or that you have had some other kind of more close encounter experience, then that'll go to a different set of people. Sure. Right. And again, that requires a different set of expertise, a different set of tools. We may not want to send a very kind of, you know, rough and tumble military guy out to talk to you about your abduction case. Yeah. It may not come across very well, you know. Like, Forrest, in terms of what makes a good case, that's sort of, everything has to get analyzed on its own, right? Yeah. I would say, though, for myself at least, what would make a good case is a reliable witness, someone who has had a marked change in their life, potentially, after the case. Look at the Betty and Barney Hill case, right? That would be a case that I think, even if today we got a, a call like that, that would be a case that we would send someone out to, I would hope.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of extraordinary uh, pieces to that one. There's clothing that was affected, right?
2: Well, there was physical evidence. There was uh, psychological evidence. You know, afterwards, you know, they they were both traumatized by the experience, right? They had physical effects that seemed to occur. They both remembered things strikingly similar to each other, even before the hypnosis session. I am definitely a skeptic of hypnosis and its usefulness in this field. Yeah. I believe we have to be careful with it, and that's actually a thing that I really want to – again, another part of what I want to do is really go to some of our tools and figure out, are we using these correctly? What other tools can we put into our tool belt? So when you apply to become an investigator, you, you can get a uh, sort of a manual, like a guide that will tell you, you know, what we expect you to do, and it has all the forms and stuff and just kind of a, a how-to sort of book. In there, there's a list of equipment that it considers to be necessary equipment, and then a list that says, you know, well, it's nice if you have this, right? Yeah. And in that list, there's Geiger counter, like a magnetometer or something, and then cell phone, right? Right, yeah. and that tells you, you know, it's kind of like, well, a Geiger counter and a cell phone are not on the same level <laughs> anymore. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's, you're way more likely to have a cell phone even than you know one of the required things is a um, a scupula, yeah. Right, so you can take dirt samples and whatever, and it's like. I and mean, then I have like three old cell phones lying around my apartment somewhere. I don't even know if I've, I haven't touched a scoopula in a year <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, since I left the lab. Like, <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah.
2: But uh, if someone claims that they have had continued repetitive experiences throughout their lives, that's a reason to send someone out. Yeah, home, sure. I would say. Right. There are also some internal markers that we have that I hope to further develop that kind of give us a sense of, based on all of the information that we have about cases, this is what we should be looking for. Right. In something that we think is uh, viable and useful. But again, every single case is unique and every single case is deserving at least of a look. A chance to be heard. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: All right, Chris. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing this news with us. You had said, if you wanted to say anything, you said you might want to tell our listeners, if they're interested, how they can get involved with MUFON before we wrap up.
2: Absolutely. So actually, I am super happy to say that we are giving 25% off a year's membership. Okay. So a year's membership in MUFON is uh, $60. You get 25% off of that. And that's at the basic level. And that will basically just kind of fund the organization further to help us do some of this research stuff that we're talking about and also allow you to get access to the journal that goes up online, our uh, case reports, and also, you know, just get more involved. If you are a scientist or a academically trained person in any field, really, um, if you have a PhD or a master's degree and you think you want to get involved please contact me. We are basically, I am opening up the books to you. Um, you'll have six months membership, full access to everything. And you can come in and you can see what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve. And I hope we can convince you to stick on board and really make a difference with the organization. And you can get access to me at directorresearch@mufon.com at MUFON.com. Or if you go to Scott's Twitter page, I am the one constantly tweeting at him <laughs> <laughs> so with the jack-o'-lantern as my logo. It should be easy to find. I am so excited and energized about being given this opportunity. And I want to try to get as many interested people as possible involved and really doing stuff. Yeah, sure. Right. Another aspect that we're trying to do is start to open up new avenues of what it means to be active and move on. Right. Whether it's reviewing cases digging up cases, you know, the historical cases in the area, reading books and giving your review and your critique, giving your expertise, all of that's useful. Even if you just want to be someone who reads UFO books and four out of five stars, whatever it is, it's useful information. We would love to
0: have you. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Do you guys Um, have birch? (laughs) <laughs> you must have hats and stuff, right?
2: Oh, we have so many cool hats. <laughs> awesome! awesome. We have, it's so funny. I cannot wait. I actually got my official membership card yeah. and it says director of research underneath it. And when it came in the mail, like Katie was like, it's finally here. Oh, yeah. That's, and, you know, so I cool. opened it up and I was like, man, next time I get pulled over, I'm going to be like, hey, I'm on a case. <laughs> look at Back this. Off, man. Was, I'm a scientist.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I was chasing a right. triangle. Right. I'm on
2: a case. And then I'll, you know, they'll, maybe they'll let me keep it in lockup, you know? I <laughs> hope
0: so. Well, yeah, I'm going to avoid the probing joke. All right. Well, uh, thank you uh, again <laughs> for coming on the show, Chris. We just want to redirect everybody to the Mad Scientist podcast, which is co hosted by Marie Mayhew, who is also a research core member now, right? You guys, she's doing every show with you now, right?
2: She is doing every single show. So Marie has been upgraded from co-host and bodyguard to full host and (laughs) bodyguard. Excellent. So very cool.
0: That's awesome. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, man. And we hope to have you back on the show, especially when you get that next case that gives you the willies.
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: That's going to wrap up our interview with Doc Coggs about his new position at MUFON. If you're interested in anything he talked about, we have the links in the show notes to everything he mentioned. Next week, part two of our series on giants will run. In it, we'll talk, among other things, about evidence pointing to what might have been a pocket civilization of French giants whose skulls indicate they would have been 10 to 15 feet tall. Special thanks to Dr. Chris Cogswell for sharing his exciting news about his new position
1: at MUFON with our audience. We'll see you in the arc, sir. Please remember to support our
0: sponsors. They keep the show free and the lights on in Blanket Fortiana. Special thanks to John Bolin. Our show is edited by Sarah Wendell, and our theme, which is available as a ringtone, is by Judson Crane. Sound design is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to The Arc and its lead researcher, Tess Feifel.
1: But most importantly, we want to thank you, our listeners. Visit our store at astonishinglegends.com or interact with us and other listeners on
0: Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find us at patreon.com/slash Astonishing Legends if you'd like to support the show in that way. Copyright Astonishing Legends Productions. Good night. <laughs>
2: Not only is eBay bringing you this podcast, we're giving you your very own 4th of July
1: coupon for an additional 20% off already reduced select items on our site. That means really big savings on everything you need to make your living space the ultimate summer staycation.
2: Get a backyard barbecue for family grill fests, super style and patio furniture, board
1: games that are far from boring, and portable speakers to get your dance party started. Grab your 4th of July coupon for an additional 20% off at ebay.com now through July 6th.